Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. There is a story posted online at JS, it's on JS Online, that is despicable. I, it is, I, I just, every time you think that people could not stoop lower, they, they stoop lower. And I don't know if this is the product of the editor of the paper or the reporters, Dan Bice and Mary Spacuza, but in my opinion, it is absolutely despicable. And I understand that people have biases. I understand that if you are a Republican in the mainstream media, anything goes. But this is an appalling, appalling story. If you go to, and I've got a link to it on my Twitter account, it's um uh, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, the headline is Uline founders Liz and Dickie Line test positive for COVID-19. She has criticized coronavirus restrictions. Okay, now let me back up here. Um Liz and Dick Eline are two of the largest contributors to Republican causes, both in Wisconsin and nationally. So there, there's folks in the liberal media who don't like them. Oh, how dare they give money to Republicans? All right, that's, that, that's, all, that's all well and good. They, they give money. But otherwise, they are private people. So apparently... Journal Sentinel, somebody leaks some story. The word is that, that they have tested positive for COVID-19. And, and that becomes a news story. They, they are not... They are not the president of the United States. They are not public officials. First of all, let's just start with this. Is this the now the new standard that every time the local newspaper finds out that anybody has tested positive for COVID-19, they are going to put their names in headlines and publish this? I mean, is this is this the test? Is this the new scarlet letter that, hey, you know, anytime we find somebody's tested positive, we're, we're going to put it out there? Um, are we going to list all the reporters who might have tested positive or the employees the Journal Sentinel or in management or in the media or whatever. Is, is this now the, the standard? Anytime we get some tip somewhere that somebody may have tested positive, we're, we're going to publish their names. All right. Really? Really? As if, okay, there's something that they've done wrong, etc. Shame on them. I mean, shame on them for invading medical privacy in this fashion. But it, but it's not just that. It, it's, it's the reason that they would argue that this is newsworthy is because they're big conservative donors, and she, being Liz Uline, has criticized coronavirus restrictions. Okay, so this this is actually this is actually what Spacuza and Bice write. Um, Liz Uline has raised questions about Tony Evers' order to prevent the spread of the virus earlier this year, saying he needed to balance the long-term effects it would have on the state's economy. We understand that the country can't reopen if the disease is not under control and hospitals are overwhelmed. However, we also have to realize that there will be no absolute perfectly safe time to do so, she said in an April statement. Okay, so let, let me get this straight. In, in the eyes of the people and the reporters at the Journal Sentinel and the people who apparently make decisions about what is going to be published and, and not published, the deal is that anybody... Anybody who has raised any sorts of concerns at all 
about Tony Evers' massive order to shut down the state. And actually, th- this was done, I think, in a pretty temperate fashion. Liz Uline raised questions about Evers' order to prevent the spread of the virus, saying he needed to balance the long-term effects it would have on the state's economy. Okay, <laughs> that that if, if you feel that the Evers' order was either unlawful or overbroad, and, oh, well, see, now you've gotten COVID-19. Ha, 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 ha. And that is precisely the tone and that is precisely what is being advanced by this. And, and I think it's absolutely despicable. You would never have seen something like this, in my opinion, if that was a large donor to the Democrat Party. That That's just the bottom line. But because you have prominent Republican contributors who are otherwise not public figures, all right, then their medical history, and I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. They, the company hasn't Confirmed. I don't know if it's true or not, but but regardless, so so what if I because I have been one of those people that over the last several months have criticized the governor's approach with the, what I think is was sort of a heavy handed shutdown. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. OK, so then you deserve to get covid-19. Ha ha ha. You you got covid-19 because you didn't embrace everything that the governor was going to try to do. I mean, really, seriously. This is what this has come to. So I guess I'm wondering, is this going to be the new witch hunt that the Journal Sentinel is going to use or that other media outlets are going to use? That if you have had the audacity, the audacity to question whether or not Governor Evers' approach to the coronavirus was the precise way to go, well, if you get coronavirus, we're going to put it all over the newspaper and then we're going to apply Oh, you kind of must have deserved to do it. See, you downplayed that in the beginning. You didn't believe fully in the shutdown. Or in in, in this particular case, you said, well, look, I, I understand it's serious, but, you know, we have to balance the long-term effects it's going to have on the economy. And again, I wonder if this is the new standard now. Every time somebody gets COVID-19, is this now going to be featured prominently um, on, on the local papers? Is, is this what we're going to do with, again, the implication? Well, see. They, they must have deserved this because they're conservative donors and they were skeptical about whether we should have shut down the state. I'm sorry. I just think this is absolutely appalling. And you can check this. You can check this this out. And I guess you can kind of decide for yourself. But my question now is, is this going to be the new standard? Anytime somebody tips one of these reporters that somebody who has... I don't know, has expressed any sort of skepticism at all about Governor Evers' policies with regard to COVID-19. It is now fair game to put rumors about their medical conditions on the Internet. I just, you know, every time I'm going to tell you, I just, when you think that they're, they can't stoop any lower, sometimes you, you have this stuff that's out there. And again, I understand especially in the mainstream media, the big donors to Republican or conservative causes, they don't like them. And they're always trying to find stories here. What can we do to belittle them, et cetera, et cetera. But every once in a while, there is a line, it seems to me, that you should not cross. This story not only tiptoed across that line, it went way across that line. I think it is absolutely, I think it's shameful. I think it is strikingly mean-spirited. And you would expect, I, I think you would hope for more, but perhaps we shouldn't expect that. When we come back, we're going to talk about the difference between the way we are approaching COVID-19 in Wisconsin and the way other states are approach, uh, approaching it. Stick around.
it just it is amazing to me. I, I wonder if this is the new standard at the Journal Sentinel, where anytime they find somebody who I don't know has any sort of public profile at all, who uh, it, it tests positive for COVID nineteen. I don't know that that's even the case. We're now going to put that in the newspaper. I mean, is is that is that really going to be the standard? that this is it. And if that's the case, are we going to see a list of all the employees at the Journal Sentinel who have tested positive for COVID-19 when they do it? I mean, honest to goodness, it's just, I understand that if it's a public figure, an elected official or something like that, I, I get why that is, that's news. But when it's private people who are only in the news because they choose to make political contributions, well, oh, oh and, and especially, and can you imagine how dare they, these people had the audacity to question whether, gee, maybe we want to have a more measured approach than the complete and total shutdown. Okay, well, see, they got what they deserve. They got COVID-19. Ha, ha, ha. Shame on the Journal Sentinel. Shame on these reports. Shame on the editors for putting that in there. And is that now the new standard? I, I guess we will wait and see. All right. Speaking of COVID-19, yesterday I made a, a reference to this. The governor of Minnesota came out and issued a, a series of orders. And by the way, we we look at, at the numbers in Wisconsin that are exploding, and, and they are. But we're, we're not unique in Wisconsin. I mean, you can argue, are we slightly higher or slightly lower than other states? But, but COVID-19 is exploding all over the country, whether it's California or whether it's Chicago or whether it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you name it. It is New York City. It's exploding all over the country. And as a matter of fact, it is exploding all over the world. I, I spent about 20 minutes this morning just reading different stories from, you know, how it's exploding in France and how it's exploding in Great Britain. So we're, we're all in this same sort of leaky boat. Now, I understand that we, we want to attend up look at, okay, we're, we're, we want to focus on stuff in Wisconsin, which I think is fair. But it's not like this is a problem which is unique to Wisconsin. It's all over the world. And so you have people that are wrestling with how we deal with this. The thing that I have been arguing all along isn't that we do nothing with regard to COVID. It's that we have to be smart with how we deal with COVID. And and by that, I mean we have to figure out what is it that people are doing or not doing that is causing the spread of COVID and and then figure out how to change that type of behavior because there is a consequence for changing behavior. When, when there is a consequence, for example, when, when we had the Evers is safer at home, that the shutdown, there was a huge economic consequence to that. People, matter of fact, I was talking to somebody this morning who lost his job because of that that shutdown, the business that he worked for was ordered closed, and, and they they never reopened. He, he's out. He's been out of work, and you know that that job he had is not coming back. So when we close businesses, when we close down things, there is a consequence. It does now. Of course, now hear me out here. I understand that sometimes you have to do that to stop the spread of COVID. I, I get it. But my point all along has been there needs to be some causation. In other words, okay, if you are able to say, gee, we have been able to trace um, spreads of COVID-19 to this particular type of business, 
I understand. Then you focus on that business. But simply saying to the small town jeweler, here, I'm going to close, I'm going to order you to be closed down, even though there's no evidence that your business contributed in any meaningful way to the spread of COVID-19. To say to the barbers and the hairstylists out there, even though we have no evidence that you staying in business with appropriate sanitary measures and all those things, even though there's no evidence that you contribute to the spread of COVID-19, we're going to make you close. See, that's where I think the balancing has to come in. You can't just take what I describe as this sledgehammer approach and say, we're going to we're going to say, don't go out to stores. We're going to say, don't patronize anything. No, you, you have to figure out where the problems are and then go from there. So, Here's what the governor of Minnesota does the other day. He comes out and says, look, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're not closing retail stores. Right? We're, we're not closing businesses. But here's what we are going to do. We are going to require that bars and restaurants close at 10 o'clock p.m. That, that's it. And we're going to restrict the sizes of weddings and funeral receptions, as well as indoor and outdoor gatherings. But we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna require businesses to close, but we're gonna target things. And then they say, okay, well, why are you, are you quote unquote picking on these businesses? And he says, okay, here's the deal. We, we, we have the numbers. And what we find is that about, well, I've got the numbers right here. We find that about 70%, based on our research, we can attribute about 70% of our new coronavirus cases, we can attribute that to, to bars and restaurants. And we can attribute the vast majority of that to contacts in bars and restaurants after 10 o'clock at night. And when you think about it, it makes sense. They're saying, okay, because what happens is as the, as the evening gets later, people drink more and things like that. And so they, they kind of get more lax with their social distancing and things like that. And he says, look, we've got the empirical numbers here. We, we can show you, we've been tracing these outbreaks and we can trace it back to people who were in some bars and restaurants. And generally speaking, it happens after 10 o'clock at night. It happens later in the evening when people have been drinking. So, we're going to close those bars and restaurants at, at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. In addition, said we know we've also been able to trace, um, again, a lot of these things, the, the, the spread, we've traced it back to a handful of, handful of, of events, some weddings and some funerals where people went, large gatherings, and the result of all that was, again, lots of people got sick and they went and spread it. So what we're going to do is we're going to put caps on the number of people who can gather. Now, and and then they also go back and they say, and this is why we're doing it. These are what the numbers say. So we're not saying to that little jeweler in small town Wisconsin or Minnesota, we're not saying that you can't be in business. We're not telling people don't go and patronize your business. What we're doing is we're trying to target the things that we know have contributed to the bulk of the spread. We're not going to shut down the economy. We're not telling people just don't go out. We're encouraging you, if you go out, you know, be smart, you know, wear your masks, maintain your social distancing, wash your hands. But we're not going to close stuff down, period. 
we're going to dial back some things to still allow the businesses to stay open. They can still operate. You can still go out to dinner if you feel comfortable doing that within the rules we've set. It's just you can't be there after 10 o'clock at night. And yes, we're going to put limits on the size of weddings and things like that, as opposed to simply saying, okay, well, don't go out. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I want to take politics out of this. I think if the governor or the legislature came forward and said, look, this is what we want to do. We're, we're Instead of just this sledgehammer approach, don't go out, which people aren't listening to, um, shut everything down, which just has the effect of destroying the economy, but rather take a surgical approach to this. Let's figure out where the problem is. And if it's at people going to weddings, okay, well, then we need to restrict the size of it. If it's people that get themselves drunk after 10 o'clock at night, and that's what they say happens in Minnesota, and the things break down, okay, put in a requirement. We're not going to let you stay open after 9 o'clock. People can still go out to dinner, but, yeah, you're, you're not going to be there at 1 o'clock in the morning. I think if you made a pitch like that and tied it to the statistics, I think people, Republicans, Democrats, independents, I think people could get behind it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If in Wisconsin we tried an approach like they're doing in Minnesota, now again, I I, I don't know what the numbers would, would show, but trying to come up with a remedy which ties into where the problem lies. Couldn't everybody support that? We discuss in a moment. Here's a text, Jeff. Okay, so you would support not letting people out after 9 o'clock. You say you're never in bars after 9 o'clock. Funny how people want to make rules that don't seriously affect them, to which my point is, we have to find a balance between the we're going to shut everything down crowd and let's just turn it into the wild, wild west crowd. And what I've been arguing about and will continue to argue about is we need to be smart. You need to figure out the activities that are disproportionately leading to the spread of COVID-19 and then try to restrict those activities, balancing things out. And to me, if in Minnesota they've got the numbers saying, hey, disproportionate amount of COVID-19 happens, it gets spread in bars late at night, okay, yeah, maybe you should shut down the bars at 9 o'clock. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. All right, we continue the conversation in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Al on the north side. Al, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I thought about agreeing almost with just what you said, and I thought on that. I also thought that just because this seems like just an uncontrollable, untamable thing, that no matter how you think you got the numbers and then you do it that way, it does something else. It started out, well, only older people. Oh, no, won't mess with the younger people. No, this thing has just gone so many different crazy ways that my thought was, what about you shut things down for, let's say, 30 to 45 days, okay? And the places that you shut down, which would be most, those people and all of us also wore masks, did the social distancing and that. I'm of the opinion that we haven't followed the recommendations totally because it's been an inconvenience and it may have bothered or disturbed or hindered some. 
But I'm also of the opinion if those places actually closed down, it would be easier to then allocate monies and finances to those people for that period of time, knowing they have followed the procedure so we could really see if we could slow it down. And because of how rampant it's running, we've got to let's not dabble with it and so you, your, your, solu- your solution is essentially your solution is essentially we we pretty much shut down the country and nobody goes to work anymore and we do that for 30 or 45 days and see where we are other than the essentials you know that just has to go and and those things because jeff if if you look at it we failed to do that let's say that way so far look at where we are with what we have done. So that's how I'm looking at it. With what we have done, Mm -hmm. look where we are and look at how rampantly this thing has gone. Some people it hasn't affected at all. Some people who you would think are supposed to have it haven't. Some Mm -hmm. who swear there's no way I possibly could get it. So it just doesn't follow a pattern. Well, and I see. And I see. I think so. See, I get. No, well, I I see. I understand. Matter of fact, a lot of people who get it, and and I I know several people who've had COVID, and they 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 have no idea where they got it because they do wear masks and they do take care of themselves, and and all of a sudden they have it. I mean, I, I with all due respect. We, we cannot, I do not believe, shut down this country and say, okay, nobody's going to go to work. We're going to close all these stores again. We, we unemployed, we destroyed businesses. The economic costs of what we did by a blanket shutdown, it is going to take years, in my opinion, to get over over that. And I don't think we can go back to this massive shutdown. Okay, all the hairdressers and barbers, you can't work. You know, all the dog groomers, you can't work. All you business people, all your businesses are, are shut down, period. We're, we're not going to let anybody out. And maybe we'll pick a grocery store here or a grocery store there that can stay open. That, that to me is just not practical, which is why I think it's so important to balance stuff. I'm not saying you don't do anything. But to me, and that's what they're doing in Minnesota, they, they, they did what I've been talking about for months. They did contact tracing. So the governor says, look, here, we found that 70 percent, seven out of 10 of coronavirus outbreaks in Minnesota from June to November, we can link them back to three things, weddings, private social gatherings, and late nights at bars and restaurants. Somebody texted me saying, well, why would you focus on late nights? Well, it's because it's... You know, as people stay longer and drink more, what happens is, again, they they stop the social distancing. But they say 70%. That's a pretty overwhelming number. Weddings, private social gatherings, late nights at bars and restaurants. So why would we say to the local barber, okay, we're going to... We're not going to let you operate. You you can't cut hair anymore. We're going to shut you down for another two months. And if you go out of business and you you know you can't pay your mortgage, well, it's that's that's not our problem. Don't worry about it. When there's no evidence suggesting that the way you ran your barber shop contributed in any meaningful way at all to the spread of COVID, seems to me it makes sense to start with figuring out how this is being spread. And again, it, it, look, I understand it gets spread in all sorts of things, but. There's some pretty compelling evidence as to where it starts, and it would seem to me you start with dealing with, okay, where the the incidences are, and let's start with that and then see how we we go. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. 
Okay, let's try Ralph in West Bend. Ralph, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, you hit the mark 100%. You are in perfect agreement with, with science and common sense. Uh, I happen to be a, a, an HVAC uh, ventilation design specialist, and I'm currently working with the University of Oregon's uh, Institute for, for Design-Built Health okay. and, uh, and the National Science Foundation on a ventilation system that I, that I developed that will eliminate airborne, path- airborne pathogens. Um, mm-hmm. So when you look at the science of this and what Minnesota's doing, they're exactly on point. And, and one of the reasons we have out-of-control spread right now isn't because of, of, of normal businesses and schools and things like that. It's because of the people that refuse to wear masks, refuse to wear social distance, refuse to social distance, and pack in shoulder to shoulder in these restaurants and bars, and oftentimes it's late at night. Right. If you look at West Bend High School right now, there's 300 kids that right now are not going to school because they're in quarantine. Most of those cases can be traced back. To the kids got it from their parents and brought it into school. So yeah. it, it, it's yeah. just a matter of common sense and having and having. A, a common voice coming from our government. That means legislature bodies, the governor, local, everybody saying, look, right. let's get together, let's wear masks, let's social distance, distance, and let's operate as normal. The whole shutdown is what created this problem in the first mm-hmm. place because you shut everybody down for three months, you take away their economic viabilities, they're going to get upset. And right. so now you got a lot of people that are saying, "No, I'm not going. I'm not going to be a part of any of it, any right. of this." Well, well, exactly. And, and you know, somebody's texting me right now, Ralph, saying, "Well, well, okay. How, how can you? May, maybe the causes are different in Wisconsin than Minnesota." And and, and I, I accept. I'm just holding up Minnesota as an example. You know, in Wisconsin, if the governor would come out and say, "Look, we've been following this, and we've been doing our contact tracing, and this is where we believe that 70 percent of it's coming from," and then let's target the thing. And maybe it's different than the bars and restaurants. I don't know, but you would figure that if our government doesn't know where the majority of these things are starting, that that's a bigger issue as well. I mean, figure out wherever the causes are, whatever they may be, and then let's go after some of those causes as opposed to let's just shut everything down. And you're absolutely right. And it's unfortunate that our government at times and our governor sits back and feels like they can just throw out a blanket mandate and say because because it's for your good and not give you a common sense explanation right no thanks and again and look and i and i understand maybe this is what it takes with the legislature to to pick up the point but you know i mean i watched governor evers is is his address the other day and it was it's kind of same old same old where he says okay well don't go out all right. Well, people are going to go out. I'll, I'll, you know, go out to get prescriptions and and only go out to um, you know only go out to the store when you absolutely have to. Well, that's okay. First of all, that's not practical. The, the reality is that's not how people are, are going to behave. It, when we, you got to understand that. Secondly, that that's in my opinion, it's markedly unnecessary. Okay, I got my hair cut yesterday. All right. Since since the gal I go to that cuts hair. Okay. Since. The place where she works has reopened. Um, whenever it reopened last, what, like in May, they haven't had one, one case 
trace to you know their their shop for for COVID. Nothing. There, there's been nothing. So why would you say, okay, Jeff, don't go out and get your hair cut? Or more importantly, why would you say to all the people that are working there, you can't practice your craft? You know, you, we're going to make you go un, on unemployment, and you know, if you can make your mortgage payment, that's great. Why would we say that when there's no causation at all between me going to this particular place and getting a haircut? Now, on the other hand, if you've got the numbers that say, hey, we've traced a bunch of these outbreaks back to you know the, these huge weddings that were going on where you had 350 people that were there and drinking and dancing, okay, then you can make a case where let, let's maybe we need to limit the size of indoor gatherings. But at least you've got the empirical evidence that's out there. I don't think that's too much to ask for. And to me, it's the reasonable balance between let's be the wild, wild west and let's just let it rip and everybody do everything they want and and who cares, you know, life is short versus the let's shut everything down, no businesses, devastate the economy, unemploy a bunch of people, you know, just destroy the financial, you know, foundation of the cities and the state. To me, it's the reasonable middle ground. And it's unfortunate to me that we, we can't take it. And it's it's kind of a challenge to the legislature as well. I think now that the elections are over, you'd like to see the state legislature sit down and, and come up with some targeted ideas. And yes, it's going to irritate some people who don't think that there should be any limitations. And it's going to irritate other people who think the only answer is to try to order everything shut down and cower in our basements. And, you know, we'll just deal with the economic and social consequences and health consequences of that later. There just has to be a common sense approach to this that I don't think we have seen. And I'm not blaming the governor. I'm not blaming the legislature. But what we're doing now isn't working. And if all Tony Evers is going to talk about is don't go outside you know shut shut down don't you know interact only go to the grocery store if you have to and only go to get your prescriptions filled okay people aren't doing that we're past that point and if the other response is well just don't do anything that's not good either there is a middle ground why can't we follow it Melissa Barkley and WTMJ are teaming up with the Hunger Task Force to help make a difference for families in need this holiday season. And we're also having a little fun along the way, your favorite WTMJ shows. We're all competing to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. It's WTMJ Cares. Pass the turkey. Go to WTMJ.com to donate. Don't forget to pick your favorite WTMJ show. WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. Okay, I have a story to tell about this. Uh, I have, as I've said, uh, if you would have asked me a month and a half ago or so, I would have said that I knew almost nobody who had had COVID-19. Now, I know lots of people who have. And it's interesting because, I, I see, I, I think whenever I say this, I get these nasty texts saying, oh, you're just an anti-masker, which is, is the farthest thing from the truth. It, it's just that, for example, the people that I know have gotten COVID, they, they, they in most cases, they, they did regularly wear masks and they did social distance. We just don't, I think the problem is, we just don't know enough about the virus to know, you know, how people get it. And this idea that's out there that if, if you if you got it, you've somehow done something wrong and you should have the scarlet A, I just reject that. That And that's, like I say, that the people I know who've gotten it have just have in general been responsible. I, they don't know how they got it. And that's the thing. You talk to most people that have it. They'll tell you we, we have no idea, you know, how how we got it. Or at least, you know, if maybe your you know, your spouse comes home from work and your spouse has picked it up at work or something, and gives it to you. You know, you got it from your spouse. But in general, a lot of times you don't know how your spouse got it. So in any event, I, I 
a month and a half ago or so, I would say I didn't know hard, I would I knew hardly anybody who would have tested positive for COVID. Now I I know several. Now thankfully, knock on wood, everybody that I know who tested positive for COVID has has had a complete and total recovery. And for most of the people, there there have not been significant consequences. They were uncomfortable, but it wasn't a a really desperate situation, except a very, very dear friend of mine and a childhood friend of my wife's. I'm not going to mention this person's name, but uh, she and her husband had had COVID and and her symptoms weren't improving and she was having trouble breathing. And she spent a couple nights in the hospital and they gave her um, I think steroids and they gave her oxygen and, and she's, she's now home. So it, it's, it's all well that sends well, feels a lot better. Um, but it, you know, it was kind of one of these sort of scary times, et cetera. So in any event, um, it was just, I was talking to her last night. She's in the hospital on Monday listening to the program and we're, we're talking about the turkeys and things like that. One of the very first things she does when she gets out of the hospital is she said, I went onto the WTMJ website and we donated some turkeys in your name. <laughs> and she said, because I, I, I just thought it was a, just a great cause. And it was sort of in the back of my mind as soon as I get out of the hospital. So here here is my dear friend. And thank you very much for doing that. Who's you know dealing with a co- with COVID-19 gets released from the hospital. And one of the very first things she does is thinking about other people at Thanksgiving, goes to the website and donates donates a couple turkeys um, so that people can have who are less fortunate can have a little bit of a brighter Thanksgiving. How how cool is that? And that those are the kind of stories that I, I absolutely love. And this is a very very successful event. So um, wtmj.com. You'll see the whole turkey thing. You can click down. You can make a donation. You know for wh- whichever whichever one of the shows you decide to pick. If you pick mine, that that's absolutely great, and I appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate my friend doing that. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I really got to, I really got to pitch this because if, if somebody thinks about that getting out of the hospital after they've just recovered from COVID and one of the first things they want to do is try to contribute to make other people's Thanksgivings a, a little bit brighter, that's a pretty darn cool thing. And I want to say a very special thank you to my dear friend for doing that. And thank you to all of you who um, have been participating in this project. you still got a lot more time to do it. WTMJ.com. Click down, find the show, and then donate turkeys. They're 15 bucks a piece. 15 bucks is great. 150 bucks is great. 500 bucks is great. Whatever you can give is much appreciated. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Eric Bilstedt, did I hear Brian say a dusting of snow coming up in the course of the next couple days? Could wake up with a little bit on the ground. Well, there was definitely, this morning when I got up to take my dog for a walk, there was definitely frost on the pumpkin Mm. as where I live. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now it's kind of like, okay, well, of course, now now at least we're getting to the point where it's it's mid-November and you understand that type of stuff is We can accept it now, yeah. Yeah, right. We, we well, we, right. You, we don't have to like it, but you're exactly right. You you can accept it. Hey, I sent out a tweet about this. Uh, CNN is still waiting to be heard from, but uh, Jeffrey Tubin, who was the the right, did you see that, Eric? Oh, yeah. You know who was. Um, 
Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, he was on a, a Zoom meeting with a number of his his colleagues, and thinking that he was not on camera, decided to pleasure himself. Would that be a fair sure. way to describe it? Yeah, you can go with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, shaking hands with the president. Well, what, what, whatever. But I mean, it, it's like, uh, and, and and it's just so weird. On weird doesn't even describe it. On so many <laughs> on so many different levels, oh. it's like, well, this this should teach him. You should always assume you're on camera. No, you're in a business meeting. You know, with yeah. it. For, for, forget the being on camera or not. It's just that okay, you're. This is the business meeting that you're there, and this is how you're. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Must have been a slow meeting or something like that. In any event, uh, the New Yorker today announced that they were. Um, they were firing him. CNN still hasn't weighed in on this whole thing. I I did send out a a tweet on this that um, I kept with a link to the story saying he was being fired, and my caption was, "You knew this one wasn't going to have a happy ending." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Mm. Mm. So, do you rebound from this? Are you able to? I don't know. After taking a class on addiction or on sexual issues, can you can you come back and do TV again or no. write for another periodical? Well, you're, you're not going to do TV. I don't. I don't think. Uh, can you write? Can you write for a periodical? I guess. I guess it depends. It kind of maybe maybe depends on oh, man. you know if, if if you pick up Penthouse or something, you know, and you know confessions from a. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I, I think this is a pretty tough thing at. at at his age and, mm-hmm. and stage of his career, I think it's pretty tough to come back from it. As we were talking about when this happened, O.J. Simpson was making fun <laughs> yeah. of him. You know, when when O.J. Simpson is mocking oh, you, yeah. you know you've kind of hit the bottom. Do you think he comes? You can come back from something like I, this? Well, I've been surprised before. You know, I, yeah. I, so it wouldn't shock me if someday I saw him on television again. But I, I no way anytime soon. And right. you'd have to have some kind of, you know, you'd have to do like a sixty minutes thing or uh, talk to Oprah. There'd have to be that whole, you know, yeah, acknowledge I, I, and apologize. And who was okay? I who was the, the 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 was it the governor of New York that that got that was being talked about as uh, who got hooked who got caught with the, like the high price call girls. I'm drawing up. Oh, you're talking about the Attorney General way back when, wasn't it? The AG. Wow, what was his name? Uh, how quickly we forget. Oh. But but he was being touted for he was being touted for for pre, you know a presidential timber, and then oh, what was his you name? know um, okay that's your, that's your assignment. See how quickly we forget. We do forget these kind of things. But dang it, yeah. Had had the high end. I'm I'm drawing a blank on it too. You know, had the high end uh, call girls and stuff like Elliot Spitzer. Yes, thank very you. Very good, Jordan. Elliot Spitzer, <clears throat> right? Because very good. Because I mean, you know, he he was being touted as just a real rising yeah, star in yeah. Democratic Party politics. Till so it turns out he's, you know, got some five hundred dollar an hour call girl well, or something like that. Similar issue with Weiner. I mean, same kind of thing. They thought that he was going to do very well and had political aspirations to go far and wide. And- yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that didn't end very well either. It's just kind of like okay. Take your cell phone. It is amazing the, the, the self-destructive nature of some of these guys. That yeah. it's, it's like, wow, why, why did you think that was a good idea? <laughs> or how were you that bored during that conference call? Well, that's it. I mean, look, I I, I understand. I I okay. Our bosses are probably let's look look. Okay, I, I I'm you you participate in a lot more meetings than I oh, do yes. because of the nature of your job. I mm-hmm. I I got into doing this so I really didn't have to go to meetings. But yeah, e- even if it's a boring meeting, okay, you, you hit mute and you you know you, you read a book or, or something or you you know you do a crossword puzzle. Yeah. Um, not that. In any event, 
Oh, somebody's saying no, Marv Albert. Well, Marv Albert, oh, yeah. you know, he had he had his problems. Well, and, and he was able to rebound from that. So. He was able to rebound. Now, the difference with Marv Albert was he's he's a sports figure, and, and maybe they, they cut you a little slack. I think it's probably easier if you're a sports broadcaster than if you're a politician or if you're somebody who does serious political commentary. Yeah. Don't know. Time will tell. Time will tell. Bottom line is don't try this at home. It, it does not work out well. Okay. During Eric's newscast, before we move on from the whole coronavirus subject, but during Eric's newscast, he, he, he made a point of saying that Costco has changed its its policy to an extent. Now, now hear me out. Costco was one of the first retailers to mandate that shoppers wear masks back in the the when the pandemic first started. Okay, so that that was always the requirement. People have to wear masks. Now, we talked about this yesterday. I I think most people do wear masks. Now, I understand some people disagree with me, but I, I and maybe it does vary a little bit, but putting aside restaurants where people are are actively involved in eating. When when I go into stores, I went into the post office today. I had to mail something, and I went into the post office. There are all sorts of people lined up. Everybody had masks on. I, I'm just saying that I, I think I think this this idea that it's spreading COVID nineteen is spreading because nobody wears masks. I, I just don't believe that. I think it, it's more complex than that because I think lots and lots of people do wear masks and wear masks uh, religiously. But in, in any event. Costco has a policy that you have to wear a mask. Now, the exception to that has been if you're unable to wear a mask due to a medical condition, they, they haven't they haven't bothered you. Well, the problem is nobody goes around with doctor's notes. So if you walk into Costco without a mask, and I, my wife goes to Costco more than I do. I, I, I like Costco, but again, if you walk in without a mask and somebody goes up to you and says, sir, madam, you're supposed to have a mask on, you can say I've got a medical condition and they're not going to hassle you. So it's it's an exception that that can be exploited for people who just decide that they don't want to wear masks. All right. What Costco has said today is they're changing their policy. Everybody is required to wear a face mask if for whatever reason, you've got a medical condition that prohibits you from wearing a face mask, you have to have a face shield, you know, one of those those plexiglass things. So nobody is going to be allowed to go into Costco anymore without having either the mask or, uh, or the face shield, but no more people going in without having some form of protection. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to be a big deal? Will people refuse to go to Costco because of this? Or is this perhaps going to make Costco even more desirable? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I know when we first went down the face mask route, there were a lot of people that would call in and would say, I'm, I'm never shopping in this place again because they make me wear face masks. I'm never going to this place again. I, I think we're at a different point. 
in November of 2020 on the whole issue of masks than we were in, in March and April and May. And I understand this has gotten really, really politicized. There, there's some people who say, oh, the reason we've got COVID going through the roof is because it's all these evil Republicans that don't wear masks. And then there's other people saying, well, I, you know, you shouldn't tell me what to do. I think, and I continue to maintain this, that the vast majority of people who go out not everybody, but the vast majority of people do, in fact, wear masks, particularly when they are inside, excepting restaurants. Right? That, that's a different story. But in general, in these stores. And I guess when I saw this order coming down that Costco now says if you can't wear a mask, you have to wear a face shield, my sense is that's not going to hurt them at all. If anything, it might make people even more comfortable going there to shop. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us. Thank you, and happy Veterans Week from all of us at News Radio 620 WTMJ and Tabak's Veterans Benefits Center, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Costco, which was one of the first retailers to implement everybody's got to wear a mask policy, but they had an exception. The exception was if you've got a medical condition, all right, then, then this doesn't apply to you. They've now changed that policy to say if you can't wear a face mask, you have to have one of those plexiglass shields. And I, I think this is designed to uh, avoid Costco having to be the medical police and determine who has a valid concern and who doesn't have a valid concern, um, because obviously I'm sure there's some people who were, were exploiting this. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Peter in Delavan. Hi, Peter. Hello. I do have an un- unusual situation. Because of my vision, masks block part of my vision. And I'm nearsighted, so face shield won't let me get close enough to products to see what's going on. So I just, so that precludes me from going there. Yeah. However, however, I just, because of respect, don't go there. You know, yeah. if I, because it's just a, a thing. It's no, I know. And something I, and, that I do out of respect for people and, you well, know, somebody else can go for me. Right. Well, th- thanks for calling, Peter. And, see, and I and I I appreciate that. See, that's to me that's that's sort of how I feel on 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 masks. And whenever I say this, I get these nasty texts saying you're an anti-masker. I'm not. I, I have masks in my pocket. I, I wear them inside. I, I I'm not sure how mu- how much they help, but to me they can't hurt. And, and so that that that's fine. Do it. And I especially think that businesses have the right. If that's the requirement of going in, I, I think people should do that. And, and to me, I, I like what you said with the whole idea about you know being being respectful for for people. So I mean, I don't I don't have an issue with this. I think Costco clearly has the right to do it. I also think the attitude in general towards wearing masks has, has changed. And I understand again, like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, some people just still believe that there that there's huge, huge numbers of people who are going around unmasked, at least the places I go around southeastern Wisconsin, I, I don't see that. I'm not saying you never see anybody, but inside, it, it is a rarity for me to go someplace and to see people without masks on. Now, the more common thing I will see from time to time is people wearing masks incorrectly. You know, like, you got to put it up over your nose. It, it really, you know, if you have that down or you... 
have it down around your chin, you're really not accomplishing anything. But I, I don't think by Costco taking this approach, I, my sense is it's not going to cost them any, any business, um, any significant business. I think people get it. All right, let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Uh, sunshine today, and that's a good thing. Not so much tomorrow. Hey, I, I support Costco. I, I, I don't shop there, but um, I, if, if, if this is what it, we, we, can, we can do collectively to stop the spread of the virus, I think people will do it. Um, we're probably 10% compliant up here. Excuse me, ninety percent compliance. Oh, I was going to say ten percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see people who don't, but but I think that would be my my sense is is seventy to eighty percent. Yeah, sure. There there is something that I find remarkable, though, uh, Jeff. Um, It seems now, as compared to, um, well, let's say the nineteen sixties, the counterculture and the yippies and the zippies, they were the ones that were were, were the the nonconformists. But now we 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 see we see we see it with the right. in the United States. So we've almost done a 180 there. Where well, I, I don't see, Gianna, where I'm going to stop you there is I, I just I, I don't buy into this this political narrative. I understand this is the way it's played out in the election that, OK, it's all the conservatives that don't wear the masks and it's all the liberals who, who wear the masks. I, I actually think it's a much more complex situation than that. And the truth of the matter is, at least inside I think the vast majority of people in Wisconsin and across this country do wear masks. I mean, there's, there was, I was talking about this yesterday. There, there's, a, there's new studies out that suggest that compliance with, with mask rules, people wearing masks, it, it's around, it's around 80%. Now that seems a little bit high to me, but I, I think, you know, Whereas several months ago, you know, they did studies saying mask wearing was about 40%, maybe in May. I could buy that. Now I, I think it's, I, I would have no problem saying I think it's probably closer to 70 to 75%. And I understand there's areas where you don't necessarily get that, but I think most people, most people do it. They do it because the rules are that you're supposed to do it. They do it because they think it's the right thing to do. They do it because they, they think it's important to, to be safe. What, whatever, whatever the motivation is, I, I think the, the compliance level is very, very high, which is one of the reasons why, when I see the numbers continuing to spike, I, I wonder, you know, what, what the role of masks is. But, but it, it can't hurt. That's why you should wear a mask and you should socially distance and you should wash your hands and do all those different types of, of things to, you know, hopefully stop the spread. I think it's more complex than that, but that's not saying don't wear masks. And my guess is with um, Costco doing this, it's really designed more to just make Costco's life easier. And I appreciate that because they don't want to get in a situation where the guy walks in and says, well, I, I have a medical condition. And then, you know, you're, you're like, okay, well, prove your medical condition. And, oh, I'm not going to prove my medical condition. And next thing you know, you've got an argument going on. So, I mean, I get why Costco is is doing this, I don't think it's going to hurt them moving forward. And candidly, um, I, I think it, it's one of those sorts of things where if you do have the medical condition and you can't wear the mask, it's probably not the worst thing to wear the, the face shield. Back with more in just a minute. He's got a text from um, one of our listeners who, who runs a, like a, I think it's a retail business in Milwaukee. He says, I, you know, I, um, I kept track today of how many of our customers were and were not wearing masks. 17 had masks, three did not, plus they did not ask if they had to wear a mask. So that's okay, you do the math, that's that's 85%. Now that, I, I'm not sure that that experience is 
I, I don't know that I could say that I think 85%, but it's, you know, some of these predictions that we got a couple months ago with these studies that, you know, uh, we're going to have all these people that are, are dead were, were based on, were based on assumptions that only 50% of people or less were wearing masks. I, I just don't think that's valid, which again tells me that the whole, if we try to figure out how to deal with COVID-19, it, it's, it's a very complex thing. Um, because I do think more people are wearing masks, and 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 that's good. And with Costco, I, I think they have every right to do it. Plus, making their life easier on themselves by saying, you know, we don't want to play doctor anymore. We don't want to try to, you know, confront customers. We're just going to say the, these are the rules, and if you if you don't like it, and you don't want to comply. That that's fine. You can shop online and pick stuff up at the curb, or you can go somewhere else. I think that's going to kind of be the wave of the future, at least for the foreseeable future. So, very glad to have you with us. Well, what was the election? Nine days ago, and and I understand that the president has not conceded. I I understand that there's some people who still believe that there might be some legal challenge to reverse various outcomes in various states. And that's fine. I mean, I have no problem with going and hand-counting ballots in Georgia, for example. But the the truth of the matter is, it's not going to change things. I mean, there's been all sorts of allegations of fraud that are out there, but but none of them seem to be gaining any sort of traction at, at all. I, I do think, I think it's fair to say that there were some, what I would describe as election irregularities, and it, it's perhaps a good idea for people to get together and to try to figure out, are there things we can do moving forward to, I don't know, get some sort of standardization in in Wisconsin for example one of the easy things to do is to let clerks start to count these absentee ballots when they come in and i'm not saying release the results but at least open the envelopes feed them into the machines so we don't have these situations that happen in the city of Milwaukee where mysteriously there's a ballot dump and all of a sudden you know you have 100,000 ballots that go in and and it changes an outcome I, that just that's not good for election integrity and i'm not saying that i think that there's fraud or anything involved with that it just you know it would be helpful if municipalities sort of all reported their results at the same time or in a similar sort of fashion. So I think that there's things that you can do about that. I, I do think it would be a good thing if we had some sort of standardization of when the ballots could be counted. I mean, I, candidly, I, I think in Wisconsin, it is not unreasonable to say, hey, if you're returning a ballot, it, it's got to be there by by the time the polls close at eight o'clock. That this idea that, okay, we're going to let ballots just trickle in and we're going to count them as long as they're postmarked, you know, on election day. So we're going to be still counting four or five, six days later. I, I don't think that's good for democracy. And I also don't think it's unreasonable to say uh to say okay you know since since you can get an absentee ballot weeks months in advance it's not too much to expect you to have a little bit of responsibility to make sure it gets returned by the time the polls close on election day but but that's just me these these are things that i think would help to instill confidence in the integrity of the system but but in general here here's the bottom line i understand that there's again threats of litigation and all but 
if I'm a betting man, if I were a betting man, and I am, there's the results of the election are not going to be overturned. That that's there. This isn't 2000 and Bush Gore, where we were talking about one state and a margin of a thousand votes or or whatever. We're talking about multiple states, and in cases, thousands of votes or tens of thousands of votes. It's they're they're on the process of getting finished with the Wisconsin recount and the recount, it, it's it's not changing anything. I mean, I think last I saw that actually uh, President Trump had lost a couple hundred votes. So it's, it's not going to change anything. So fine to explore the different you know, avenues that are out there. But at the end of the day, unless there is something dramatic that's not on the radar screen right now that appears, <clears throat> unless there's something dramatic that's out there, what you're going to find is Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. That doesn't mean that Donald Trump decides to leave the scene. Now, he's going to leave the White House. And and at the end of the day, we're going to have an orderly transition. I can't make a prediction as to whether he shows up at the inauguration or not. I I would hope he, he would do that. But but he he's going to move on to the next phase of his life. Now, there is no question that President Trump grossly outperformed expectations. You had all the pollsters that just said he's dead. You had all the talking heads in the mainstream media that said, oh, you know, people just despise Donald Trump. Well, I mean, he darn near pulled it off. And and if there wasn't the the headwind of the headwind of the coronavirus pandemic, I I think he would have been over. I think he would have been reelected by an, an overwhelming margin. But even as it was, I mean, he came very, very close in a number of of states, and it's clear that he is still a political force to be reckoned with. All right, so now the Republican Party is at this point of having to say, where do we go from here? And I have a whole series of, of stories. I'm looking at one in the Washington Post. Trump insists he'll win, but aides say he has no real plan to overturn the results, and he talks of a 2024 run. Okay, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It doesn't matter if you're pro-Trump, doesn't matter if you're anti-Trump. If the election goes as it appears it's going to, and he's going to lose. All right, does he, should he, run again? Or is it time to simply, I don't know, kind of head to the golf course, um, figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, but sort of leave politics behind. Would you like, if Donald Trump comes out and announces, I don't know, in the next week or two, that he's going to be a candidate for president in 2024, what will your reaction be? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. For me, if he wants to stay on the political stage, I, I think that's great. I think he would be very well served, both himself and the Republican Party if he would announce that he's done as a candidate. Because I I think it's time for the party to move on. I think the future of the Republican Party is going to be people who can keep that Trump coalition and figure out a way to broaden it. And as long as President Trump is sort of the, the giant figure in the background, I don't think that's going to be good for moving on. But that's just me. 855-616-1620. What should he do? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay. Where, what, what would you like to see President Trump do, assuming 
The count does not go his way. Let's start okay. with Jeff in Franklin. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my, my call. Sure. I, uh, it's my first time. Well, welcome. I will be gentle, I promise. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I think well, I'd like to see President Trump uh, run again in uh, 2024. I'm not sure what the field will be at that time, but I think he would be a, a good candidate, and he has been a good leader in our country. Okay, he will be 78 um, in 2024. Same age as Biden, right? Same, yeah, same age as Biden, right. Um, what do you think he would could do over the next four years to, I, I don't know, to, to win when he couldn't win this time, if that's in fact what ends up happening? Well, that's a good question, I, uh, but I think still selling the same message. Um, America first. Already Biden has said uh, he's going to change that policy. But we would all like to see America first. Think of us first. And that is not necessarily to the detriment of anybody else, but we are first. Got it. Okay, thanks for call, Jeff. Feel free to call back again. Okay, 855-616-1620. Um, I, I will tell you, I think... I think the specter of President Trump hanging out there and, and either announcing that he's going to be a candidate or, um, or, or at least hanging fire as a candidate for the next couple years and, and therefore, again, stopping his supporters from maybe trying to find somebody else. I don't think that would be good. To me, that would be playing into the hands of Democrats, but that's just me. Let's talk to Chris in Green Bay. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff, long-time listener, and I'm also a first-time caller. Oh, outstanding. Well, thanks for joining us. Oh, I I hit the wrong button. Call back. Uh, First-time call. I hit the wrong button. I was going to reach for something else. Sorry, call back right away. We'll put you right on. 855-616. What a rude thing. I'm a first-time caller, and then I hit the wrong button, and I, I hang up. Sorry, my bad. I apologize. Trying to do too many things at once. Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're in WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, uh, I call all the time, so yeah. I feel bad taking up the. the no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna, he, if he calls back, we're going to put him right on. It was <laughs> I just hit the wrong button. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I I think that it would be foolish to think that he couldn't win again in 2024, just because of the the strong support and the base that he has, and I don't think that's going away no matter what. Uh, that's going to be there. But uh, I personally have a a huge issue with anybody who can still manage to support him after the, and I'm not mincing words here, uh, it's it's literal treason when you uh, uh, do what he did with Ukraine to withhold the the military funding. And if you recall the Mueller report, everybody that read it fully, it did not exonerate him fully but they could not charge him because he was a sitting president. Okay, well, okay, Mark, thanks. I I get the perspective. Look, I I, I don't want to rehash stuff from a couple years ago and and things like that, and and treason is is a really really big word to to throw around. So I I, you know, but I I mean, I, I, I do understand the people who don't like President Trump. They're not going to change that opinion over the course of the next couple years. And I guess this is always the issue. It's like, what is the party going to look like? And to me, for the Republican Party to be successful moving forward, what we're looking at is somebody who can, again, keep the Trump coalition, 
but figure out ways to expand it in ways that President Trump wasn't able to do over the course of four years. Okay, we've got him back. Uh, let's go right to the top of the list. Chris in Green Bay. Chris, good afternoon. <laughs> Hi. I hit the wrong Thank button. You. I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Make your point. <laughs> no problem. Um, I, I think that President Trump, I'm, I'm, I was a President Trump supporter. I voted for him, but I, I, I really think that he should move out to his golf course and enjoy life. Maybe he's not, t- not that type of man. But um, a question I have for you is, do you think that the Republican Party would allow him to run? Well, what do you I mean? I'm going to hang up. Okay, thanks for the call, Craig. Well, it, 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 feel free to call back anytime. Um, well, it, it's not a question of allowing him to run. I mean, the 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 mainstream Republican Party wasn't thrilled when when Donald Trump announced that he was going to run in 2016. Remember, we had all the other candidates that were there. I mean, so the, the Republican Party, wh- whatever that means institutionally, you know, ha- has no say one way or the other. If Donald Trump decides that he wants to run, I don't think Donald Trump running or or holding open the fact that he might run as i said i don't think that's good for the party i think at some point in time you you do have to move on to the the next generation of leaders and i if if president trump wants to be kind of a kingmaker behind the scenes i i could see something that as opposed to being a candidate yourself given all the controversy i mean i i don't know I don't know what there is to believe that the outcome in 2024 might be different than the outcome in 2020. Now, I, again, we're, we're dealing with a, you know, we're dealing with a massive ego, and, and I don't say that in a bad way. I, I, I just don't. That's kind of the reality that's there. But I think the specter of President Trump running again would be, you know, something that would would hang over the party, and and I mean, I don't know who the next round of leaders are going to be. It, it uh, a Marco Rubio, uh, a Nikki Haley, you know, people like that, and and maybe names that we haven't heard of before. I, I think there does come a time when politicians need to kind of move off the stage and sit and take a position of, hey, I'm going to be the senior leadership. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tony in Pewaukee. Tony. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hey, I, I would like to see Ted Cruz run, but I have a caveat. I'd like to see Don Jr. run as his VP. And I'd like to see Don as an advisor. I, I think yeah, I think you keep the Trump folks in, and then you, you add in the, the little bit more moderate edge to that, and you got yourself a pretty good team. Well, um, do, you think the, do you think the Trump brand has been – hurt by all the the stuff that's gone on over the course of the last couple years i mean are is hillary clinton was toxic to a large segment of american voters which is one of the reasons why i believe she lost in 2016 is is trump toxic to so many voters that 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 name has been tarnished i actually think short of 273,000 stolen votes in swing states he did pretty damn good. Well, he did. He did. Thanks. I mean, he clearly overperformed. He, he clearly outperformed expectations. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, uh, what I'm really hoping for is like some fresh young Republican blood to to come up and, and make some headway over the next couple of years. Something kind of like what Bernie did from the left of really energizing a crowd. Um, but then I feel like that platform was kind of stolen away. But I feel like the Republicans really need like a young conservative to come up and 
I mean, I'm a longtime Democratic voter, but I feel like that would drag me over party lines if I had something to kind of counter the left that's there right now. Hey, well, the the idea that when you think about on on the left, you know, you think about who who were the the last two Democratic candidates left standing. You know, Bernie Sanders and, and Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's the kid; it, it's seventy eight years old. And from the yeah. Republican choice, it's Donald Trump at seventy four. You and so four years from now, that means seventy eight. It's you do think at some point in time. It, there comes a time when people got to get off the stage and, and figure out who that next generation of leaders is going to be. Absolutely. I, I still yeah, I think like Rubio would be, you know, he'd be good in there. But I see I don't know if he had a really strong campaign in 2016. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what what comes of the party in the next few years. But I, I just I don't think Trump should run again. I feel like it would take a lot of heat away from potential well, well, right, and you again. Thanks, and again, it, in some respects, it would be a distraction. And and I I understand that there, you know, people on the left say, oh, there's a cult of Trump, and and, and they mean it in a in a nasty way. Like people who support the president just are, you know, you, you just it's kind of like Jim Jones. You drank the Kool Aid and things like that. And, and I don't I don't think that I th- there is. There, there are people who are intensely passionate about President Trump, and that is not going to change. But at the same time, when, when you look at the dynamics, like I say, he had four years to try to expand his coalition. And I, I don't know how that changes. I, I just don't see the dynamic of that changing as we move over the next several years. I, I think it's, I think the Republican Party would be best served by new leadership, whoever that new leadership is. And, and hopefully the president could I don't know, sink into, and I mean, or just kind of slip into the, the role of one of the, the senior advisors and, and go out and raise money for candidates and, and try to, to support these things. Now, I don't know if his personality is going to let him do that. That's, that's one of the big questions. And because, you know, President Trump, it's, you know, it's a very, an egocentric sort of thing. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's, he's always been the guy that it's always been about him. So I'm not sure that he is, I'm not sure that he's just his makeup would allow him to. Hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna help and I'm gonna be an advisor as opposed to being the this in the spotlight. But who knows? Let's talk to Ryan in Green Bay. Ryan, you're in WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, see, I'm kind of split fifty fifty. But now, the more I listen to it, I, I'm leaning towards that he shouldn't. And Should the only not. reason why I say that, um, he he did a lot. In four years, a lot of good for almost everybody and anything for the country, everything. But the thing is, Joe Biden's going to go in there now, and odds are he's going to reverse a good percentage of what Trump did, and he's going to bring it back to the Obama era. And then if Trump gets back in in 2024, they're going to have to reverse it all again. And honestly, I don't think that four years is going to be enough time for for Donald Trump to turn around. You're going to have to get some... I like that young blood idea in there to uh so you could have yeah. a chance at running for eight straight years at as your idea. Well also I mean I mean also it, it, there's there's a generational type of thing that that's going on. I think that there's you know I mean the, the country ends up evolving. Jeff, why would the GOP run a candidate for the third time who lost the popular vote the first two? Well, um okay, here here's the bottom line. The the, the the Republican Party doesn't have a say in this. I mean, and I, I can declare for president tomorrow, 
And, and and then like the Republican Party, that fine, you, you step back and you say, okay, let, let's see how Jeff Wagner can can do. I mean, Donald Trump can say, I'm going to run uh, again. Now, a lot of the apparatus of the Republican Party are people that have supported Trump over the years. And I understand there's that segment out there that the never Trumpers and things like that. And I, I guess the president continuing to hang around on the stage as and holding the specter that he might run, to me, that that ends up being a distraction. I don't think it's good for the country. I don't think it would be good for him and it, because then then all we'd be doing is replaying the Trump tax returns and all this type of stuff. I, I'd like to hear some of these other candidates that are out there, and I'd like to hear their ideas as to how they can, again, keep the Trump coalition together, um, but also expand it and, and make inroads. That's going to be the real challenge. I will say this, though. If I had to make a prediction... I think President Trump will continue to want the spotlight on himself for the foreseeable future. That's not predicting he runs again in 2024, but I don't think he's going to let anybody know what he intends to do for quite a while. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. You know, we've been talking a lot about you know COVID-19 and things of the like. And, you know, that there's there's some people who think things need to be shut down, etc. One of the big challenges that we're having throughout the northern hemisphere is the fact that it is getting colder now. And one of the things that I think saved a lot of businesses during the, the summer was that you, you were able to eat outside. I, I can I can count on. Well, certainly on one hand and probably on a couple fingers, the, the number of times that I have eaten out at restaurants inside. We, we, we just don't we don't do that and we, we haven't done it. But that's not to say we don't go out. We go out quite a bit. But we, we've been eating outside and patios and things of the like. And I I understand that, you know, sometimes we get told to, to stay at home. Well, all right. I've been trying to find that that balance. And like I say, we've been eating in an outside situation. I think outside is different than inside. And as long as you're, you're at a place where the tables are spread apart, and I'm not talking about standing shoulder to shoulder in some beer tent with 2,000 of your closest friends, but I'm thinking about you know, a restaurant that you know, sitting out on a deck on a patio where you're distanced from other people, I have felt comfortable doing that. Maybe that's irresponsible, but that's just the reality. That's what I've done. And I think lots and lots of people have been like that as a way we try to balance this all out. But of course, it's getting colder. You know, it's 47 degrees now. You heard the weather forecast, and what they're talking about is, um, again, you know, snow showers, things like that. We know that in the next couple weeks, you know, we're going to be looking at temperatures below freezing, which is going to make it more difficult for people who want to go out and want to eat outside to to do that because, all right, you're out on a patio concrete patio asphalt patio it's going to be cold and and yes people can bring in heaters and people can try to enclose areas but it's still going to be a a struggle well what's been happening is there's a number of restaurants that have been recognizing this and they're trying to figure out ways to stay open and so what they're doing is they're putting you know maybe it'll be a tent that will be up and there'll be ways that you can open the flaps to, again, get some air in. And they're putting in a bunch of heaters. We were at a restaurant the other day where it was, 
think relatively chilly outside, but what they had done is they had taken their patio and they had enclosed it. They had put like a metal top over that and they had some plastic sheets that were dropping down and there was um, it, it was open at the the top between the sheet and where the, the roof started. So there was some ventilation that was coming through. And they had just a, a boatload of heaters that were in this area. And there were maybe like eight or ten tables to the point that it was actually almost uncomfortably warm in the area. You know, we, we actually had them turn down one or two of the heaters. So I was looking at this situation. I was saying, you know what? I could continue. I felt comfortable. I felt safe. I could continue eating outside, certainly more comfortable than I would have felt if I was in the restaurant. I would feel comfortable being out on this patio where the tables weren't put together. And I think it would be I could see, I think this would be comfortable, you know, maybe with the temperatures, certainly below freezing, maybe in the 20s or something. Now, sub-zero, you know, with a yeah, sub-zero with the, the wind blowing 25 miles an hour out of the north, maybe not. But I, I could see trying to continue to eat outside under these circumstances. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here here is my question. If, look, and I, I understand there's some people who just, you don't go to restaurants. You, you have no interest in going out until, until the COVID pandemic passes. But I think for a lot of people, you know, we have been going out with, with folks and we, not large groups, but, you know, within your kind of social bubble. My question is, as it gets colder, as we get temperatures down below freezing, do you think you would continue, would you be willing to try to continue eating outside in the appropriate environment with the heaters, or maybe it's the tent or something like that, or is winter going to bring a complete and total end to outdoor dining? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, my, my whole point is, I hope not. Hope not. Um, what do you think? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, restaurants do what they need in order to survive. I, however, have no fear or discomfort level eating inside. We have not stopped going out to eat. I wish I could see the server's face, though. Uh, let's see. Okay, Jeff, I'm a local restaurant owner. We've been doing well as of late. Please don't encourage people to stop patronizing our businesses. Okay. In fairness, what what about that lead up? Could any reasonable person interpret as encouraging people to stop patronizing businesses? I, I'm the one who's been saying, hey, I, I go out to eat. I go out to eat regularly. I, I love that social interaction. At the same time, I mean, I, I at least the, the compromise that I've made that I think a lot of people have made is that we're, we're going to be, you know, outside. And that's. So that's going to be the tough decision. Um, do you then go inside? I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But I'm here to tell you that if there are restaurants out there that can preserve elements of that outdoor dining with the heaters and tents and stuff to keep it comfortable, that to me, that's a no-brainer. Um, that's that's where I'll end up being. And, I, I mean, I hope that businesses are going to be able to do that. Okay, let's talk to Terry. Terry, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Hi, Terry. Hey, um, yeah, no, I think as long as they are able to uh, keep it warm, you know, you don't have snow blowing across your meal as you're trying to eat or, you know, a cold breeze, it'd be fine. But to that end, and this is a whole other subject, what would be the difference between that? If if it's so buttoned down that it's nice and warm, what's the difference with eating inside the restaurant as long as they social distance the tables? I mean, you have better ventilation inside the 
the buildings than you would out in a tent. Yeah, maybe. I guess, see, the, the, the places that I've been, when I've seen the, the design they've had, is that it, it has it has been open so that there's some like some area to the outside. For example, the place we were at the other night, the, the sheeting up on the side, I'm going to do a bad job of describing this, but the, the sheeting up on the side um, didn't quite reach all the way to the roof, so you had open air at the top, so that there was an airflow. Okay. But, but, but no. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, the the idea is as long as you do social distancing or people comfortable going inside, and, and that's all well and good. I'm just saying I think there's a lot of people, at least a lot of people I know, who still aren't quite comfortable with the going inside aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, some places I did live right down by the Joliet, Illinois area. And, you know, some places have big tents. It's, it's almost like a dining room. I mean, there's not much different. They'll put, uh, you know, the AstroTurf carpet down. And uh, right. yeah. it's almost like you're in another room. Yeah, right, exactly. No, th- thanks. And it's, it's funny. There's a place that we're, um, we're, we're going to dinner um, tomorrow night with very, very dear friends of ours. And it's... The, the it's it's kind of a, a, a hybrid sort of thing. They have what I will describe as well. It's kind of like a screened in in porch, and it, it's it's open to the outside, sort of. Um, at least you've got some some ventilation that's going on. They've got some plastic sheeting, and they've got a bunch of heaters. And I, I walked in there the the other night. We were actually at the restaurant on Monday night. We ate outside, and I went in and I thought, hey, I I feel comfortable in in this place. It's it's sort of like a cross between like being outside on a patio, but yet you're not in the restaurant. And I appreciate a lot of people feel comfortable going, you know, going inside. I'm just not quite there yet. But again, I'm not. Encouraging people not to, to go out. I, I, I want to see the hospitality industry do well. I'm the guy who's arguing, hey, we, we need to figure out ways to move past this without simply just saying we're going to shut down stuff. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my wife and I have been going out to eat uh, for the last several months, uh, both indoors and outdoors. Uh, for outdoors is fine, but indoors, uh, where we go, the people are socially distant. The tables are farther apart. The employees wear masks, and we're comfortable doing that. And uh, we're cautious. We don't want to live in a bubble, but we're cautious where we go. And uh, where we've been, it's been very, you know, no issues. Right, right. It, well, it, exactly. Now, do you think you're going to continue to go out as the weather gets colder? Absolutely. Right. Right. Unless I'm snowed in. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. The congregation says amen. (laughs) Thanks for the call. Well, right. There's always that. And and I think, you know, I I mean, I I applaud restaurants that are trying to figure out how to deal with this. You know what? One of the real darn shames. I, you, you probably saw the story. There's a restaurant in Thienesville called Sheel, C-H-E-E-L. It was like a Nepalese restaurant. I, I, I'd only eaten there once, but I, I, I liked, liked it quite a bit. It was in an older, but this is the one, complete loss. It burned down on um, on Sunday. Um, but it very, it very, very popular restaurant, and foodies really liked it. And what they had is they had the interior restaurant, and then they had one of these big enclosed outdoor areas. And I say outdoor. Again, it was kind of like a, a screened-in porch, you know, again, with, with plastic sheeting and stuff, where you could you, – you, you were outside – but yet you were still protected, and the, the time I ate there is warm enough. They were planning a quarter-million-dollar expansion to essentially 
do the same thing all throughout their parking lot. And then on Sunday, there was an apartment fire above where their building was, and it spread. Now it's a complete loss. I think the owners say they're going to rebuild, but that won't be for a year or two. But that was the kind of creative thing that I, I saw restaurants uh, doing. Okay, let's talk to James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think uh, if it's uh, if you can do that, if you can make it uh, warm enough in there, yes. But if it's going to be like Lambeau Field, uh, I don't want to be sitting out in Lambeau Field there and freeze my bar <laughs> off. But, yeah. but hey, we're but the, the other thing, Jeff, is we're not all social butterflies like you and your wife and that and, and the rest of these people on the on the radio station here. But don't you feel that maybe some of them are also uh, spreading? Um, how do you say the word? Uh, the coronavirus, I mean, even though that you got the mask, the six feet, and some of this other stuff, that sure we want, all want to be on out like you guys do, but uh, we're, we're, we're kind of on, on that outer, on that outer well, fringe uh, saying, hey, we want to enjoy this stuff, but how can we... Well, I think, that- well, I mean, James, my, my answer to you is I, I think, you know, everybody has to find their their level of comfort. And I'm not encouraging people to do stuff that they're uncomfortable with or that they figure that it's irresponsible. And I'm just telling you how I live my life with that that kind of, I, I try to balance out the different stuff. I know that there's people out there who say, I would never go out to a restaurant. Doesn't matter if I'm the only person on that patio. Doesn't matter if I'm the only person in the restaurant. I, I won't do that. I'll, I, and, and that's okay. I, I respect that. And nobody's going to put a gun to those folks' heads and say that you have to do it. Um, I think that there, at least my way of looking at it, I think that there is a balance and there's a difference between, okay, again, being in a beer tent with 2,000 people shoulder to shoulder and, uh, again, going to a restaurant where the tables are socially distanced and you're within your social bubble and stuff. And, and people have to, to find, again, what they're comfortable with and try not to be irresponsible. I think we're living our life in a way that isn't necessarily irresponsible. Can I guarantee that, you know, somebody's not going to get sick? No, I, I, I can't. You just you never know. You, you do the best you can to try to balance things out. But, I mean, you know, one of the things that's been allowed over the course of the last several months has been, you know, restaurants have been allowed to reopen. And, you know, matter of fact, in the city of Milwaukee, they've, they've expanded the outdoor dining and the patio dining and the sidewalk dining because they recognize that, first of all, people like to do it. And secondly, that's a that's a way that you can do this outside better than inside for a lot of people. So uh, that's how I'm going to continue. And I, and I hope other people do. And for the restaurateurs who are out there trying to figure out ways that people can, you know, enjoy all this. I, I think that's great. I, I think that that's great, and um, hopefully we'll give them a chance, and hopefully we'll all get through this together without, again, seeing uh, the, the restaurant industry just crippled any more than it has been already. Back with more in just a minute. Yeah, that really was that the loss of that restaurant out in Fiendsville, Shield. And, and I know people came from all over to, to go to it, and it was really a, a great place. And, and the owners, one of the things that was so cool about it is the, the owners really committed to the the area in southeastern Wisconsin and um, you know, very dedicated to Ozaki County in general and Fiendsville in particular. And then it, real, really nice people. I, I had, even though I'd only eaten there once, I'd, I'd 
uh, I'd met them on a couple occasions, and lots of my friends would go there on a regular basis. And it's just this fire is just absolutely devastating. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, we we all say we're ready for 2020 to end, but can you imagine if you had this fairly successful and thriving business, and you've just you know you're you're planning to put two hundred fifty thousand dollars into an expansion, and all of a sudden a, a fire breaks out in an apartment over the restaurant, and it ends up being a, a total loss. Just um, you know, really tough. That's so for everybody who thinks 2020 has been bad. You, my guess is you can always find somebody for whom 2020 has been just perhaps a little bit worse. As long as we're talking about restaurants, uh, this is don't want this story to go unnoticed as well. The um, there there's been a, a restaurant in in Delafield called the Seven Seas. Which is was a Weisgerber, you know, restaurant. It's been there overlooking Lake Nagawica for for the last forty years or so. As a matter of fact, I was there. Um, I, I I told this story. A dear friend of my wife's passed away uh, a few weeks ago, and after the funeral, a day or two after the funeral, we took uh, my friend Chuck, Judy's husband. Judy was the person who passed away, and a, a couple other friends. We, we, we took them out. We all went out to dinner at, at the Seven Seas. And, you know, it was, it was actually, this is a place, it was actually kind of sad in a way because it's a place that's normally packed, just, just normally packed, great views of the lake and things like that. And, and it, admittedly, it was a Sunday evening, but it, it was pretty darn near empty. And I was kind of wondering, Boy, if it's been like this for a long period of time, how are they going to make it through the winter? And the the announcement came out the other day that they're not. Um, they've they they did, apparently did a lot of events and stuff, and those events had pretty much dried up. So, after about forty years of being in business, um, they've decided that they they can't make it. It's just. It's again. It's one of these tragedies that that's out there. And so for for everybody who says, "Well, we we should just lock everything down and businesses shouldn't be open and nobody should go out," I just think that's unacceptable. We, you have to find out a way because you look at these businesses that have just been institutions and now they're they're closed and they're gone. And the owners are you know struggling to figure out how what they're going to do with and all the people that work there. They've now lost their jobs. So again, we don't want to be irresponsible, but you have to find a balance between shutting everything down we're just going to close everything down period and you know who cares what the economic consequences are with the the real world current concerns that you have to be smart so that's the balancing seven seas closing as well just uh, very very bad So very glad to have you with me. 47 degrees outside. Okay, here, here's the deal. And, and I, I want you to be honest with, with this. What do you do with when it comes to COVID? For example, uh, we, we depend. Uh, if, if things are going to work, like, like contact tracing and things of, like that, it is going to work and testing is going to work. We depend on, on people being honest um there, there's an interesting story I, I, actually i'm looking at out of a out of a pittsburgh tv station that they they call it covid honesty when do you reveal circumstances that you know might result in a quarantine now now for example many many employers maybe most employers you know ask employees hey um if you're not feeling well stay away don't come into work. 
and they ask employees to report if, in fact, they've been exposed to people that have had COVID or that they, they have COVID themselves. But the result of that, in many cases, is let's say you're in a situation where you you don't have COVID, but you, you've been exposed to somebody. Maybe you were at a party or something. You're feeling fine. You're asymptomatic. You're feeling fine. But you were at a party where, you know, somebody that you were in relatively close contact with ha- has, in fact, tested positive. Okay, so, so now the question becomes, if you go in and you tell you're, you're feeling fine, you tell your employer, hey, I, just so you know, I'm feeling fine, but I, I was at this party and, and, and Frank, you know, tested positive and, you know, we, we were at the table together. It is very, very likely that your employer may then say to you, all right, go home. You're, you're, you're going to, you're going to quarantine. I expect you to quarantine for 10 days or two weeks or, or whatever, whatever the policy is. And it may very well be on top of that, that when they send you home, you, you don't get paid. Now, some people get paid under the circumstances. Others don't. So it's raising this issue of, of COVID, you know, honesty, where the employers are counting on the employees to essentially self-report themselves. And maybe, and I say just maybe, by self-reporting, end up getting themselves sat on the bricks without pay for a week or two. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So obviously this is one of these you know, rules or, or guidelines we want people to report. Makes a lot of sense. But my question is, would you do it? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, this isn't a situation where you know you're sick and you've got a fever and you're coughing up a lung, but you know that you were around somebody who might have tested positive. All right, would you decide to voluntarily... Without more, without a fever, without, you know, the, the sore throat, without the respiratory problems, would you decide to voluntarily say, call up your employer and say, look, I, I need to self, I'm self-reporting, I need to quarantine myself and, you know, I'll, I'll see you in a week or I'll see you in 10 days. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question is, would you do that? Would you be COVID honest? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Chandler. Chandler, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think? I I was saying to the screener before, COVID's on all of us. Like, if you're not feeling well, call in. I actually uh, was uh, waiting test results, and I told my... uh, my place of work and everything that like, Hey, depending on these results, we might have to make like alternative plans. And I don't, I don't see what the hassle is of people being so secretive about it. Um, I've told my bosses for a while too, like it shouldn't have been a pandemic to take people when they're not feeling well to stay home. And it just, it's kind of funny. That's how like the nature of things works out, you know, because I, I think we're just a country of workaholics and now like where people should take time instead of shutting down a whole workplace from one sick person. Yeah. Well, I guess I I will tell you this. My perspective on this would be that if it turned out that a, a coworker of mine, one of my teammates had, had 
known that they had been exposed to COVID-19 and and hadn't shared that with management so they could share it with us, and I ended up getting sick, I, I would be angry as heck. Now, I understand maybe that's selfish in a way because you say, well, okay, if, if they weren't coming in, would they get paid or or not, which is a whole different question. But it, and, and i got to tell you something, Chandler. I don't know that I could live with myself if I knew I was sick or had a good chance that I might be sick, and I came in and got some of my colleagues or teammates or whatever sick, I'd, I, I'd, I'd, I'd hate myself for that. Well, exactly. And you, the thing is, you don't know who's going home to who, who's going home to someone who's immune compromised, like kids or people right. who are going home and maybe taking care of a uh, elderly like person or like whatever it's it, it's exactly that it's just people being selfish and like and, and we live in a nation of me 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 where people like in order for COVID to go away people have to start thinking outside of the me 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 uh, persona yeah now again i i also, i mean thanks for in, in fairness now i, I understand it th- this is one where sometimes i get these texts it's easy for you to say that well right i, I understand it's going to depend on your financial situation you know if if you work for an employer that's going to pay people uh, where if if they're home sick for this or they're quarantining, it, it, it becomes an, an easier thing. I appreciate that on a moral purpose, moral, moral grounds, it's it's perhaps a more difficult call if you're sitting there saying, OK, if I get sent home and I get told to quarantine that me and I'm and I'm not getting paid by my employer. That means that I'm going to be out of uh, where, where am I going to get the money to put food on the table or to make the rent payment and all. So I, I understand that that's a different consideration and I'm not trying to downplay it. But I do go back and I think sometimes there is this kind of greater good that's out there. And I think if people found out that, you know, you, you came to work knowing that or at least having knowing that you should be quarantining knowing that you may be a carrier well i I think you know i appreciate no matter what your motives are and how you want to put food on the table and all that which is all very i understand it i get it but if you do something like that seems to me that um it's not going to be the way to endear yourself to your co-workers okay 855-616-1620 it's the acunet mortgage talk and text line um, okay, uh, let's see. Let's go to some of these texts here. Lots of people weighing in. I told my employer I received a negative test but was still stay, told to stay home for two weeks. Um, I was blessed that they still paid me. Uh, yeah, there it goes. Jeff, I had it in August. I stayed home for two weeks with pay, but I still get crap from my office manager for getting it. Well, okay, it's like, oh, all right. See that that is one of the things that's kind of frustrating me. The, the truth of the matter is, it. I, I think there's some people out there who believe if somebody comes down with COVID, that you should have, wear that scarlet A. That you should be in a situation where you are um, you you did something wrong. And, and maybe that's the case. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at the vast majority of people who are getting COVID, that's one of the things you're starting to find out. People don't even know where they got it. I mean, they they just. You know, they, they do everything right. They wear the masks. They social distance. They wash their hands. They're not at that beer tent with 2,000 people, and, and yet they, they still end up getting it. Um, that's the kind of situation. So for people who are deciding that, okay, we're going to be judgmental, and you did something wrong if you got it, I don't uh, that I don't think so. As a matter of fact, that kind of attitude, I think, discourages people from, you know, wanting to come forward and disclose that that they have it if they think they're going to be stigmatized uh jeff the question remains going forward um 
where the employer, will the employers be forgiving when their staff calls in sick, or will they be punished for having multiple occurrences? Well, I, from the perspective of an employer, and I, I mean, I can tell you what our attitude is here, and I, I think, you know, I, I work for a pretty good company, they're very responsible. The attitude is, we don't want you to get sick, but we especially, if you're sick, we don't want you coming in and getting everybody else sick, because then it goes from just not one person, but it goes to, you spread it to everybody, and then the whole workplace ends up shutting down. Jeff, absolutely, contact tracing is a big part of getting out of the surging pandemic. I think it's just the right thing to do. See, I, I couldn't echo that more because I'm the guy who's been saying all along that I, I think the more effective way out of this problem or to deal with it till we get a vaccine and herd immunity and all that is aggressive testing and contact tracing. So rather than saying we're, we're going to shut down the jewelry store um, so people can't go in and shop at the jewelry store, we're going to say let's figure out people who may have been exposed and let's contact them and let, let's let's ask them, require them, whatever, to quarantine themselves so everybody else can go out about their, their lives. That's, I, I think, what the, the key is. It depends, though, admittedly, on people being honest um, and and that is honest when they cooperate in cooperating with the the, the the testers in being honest now if people are going to lie about stuff well I admit that you're going to have problems Derek in Cedarburg Derek you're on WTMJ hey Jeff um, I'm actually going through a current situation like this I just got off of work I found out a good buddy of mine at work uh, tested positive for COVID last week. And he was complaining about being sick throughout the week. And today I found out he had it. Now, I've had direct... And at the same time, two of our bosses now tested positive for it. Our work is kind of keeping it hidden from us. I was told by my one boss that, well, we're not telling anyone unless you had direct contact for 10 minutes and you were closer than six feet. Well, that's all day long because this is a right. quality control guy. I talk to him all day. Right. So now I'm coming home to my girlfriend who has elderly grandparents and I don't know what to do. Do I go to work tomorrow or do I call in and say, hey, you know, well, I know I had direct contact with this person. So what yeah. do I do? What do you so think I, you're going to do? Financially... Okay. You know what? I don't know. I'm more worried about my girlfriend's yeah. family than my own health. Um, financially, right. I can probably stomach it, but it's just I feel like our work is kind of hiding the facts from us, and they're not right. telling us the truth. My one boss, my friend, told me, well, we're not really allowed to discuss anything with anyone. Well, <laughs> I, it's a catch-22. I mean... Well, right. right. And it's not it's not like you're being, you know, judgmental, but it's, hey, look, I I, if I've been exposed, I want to know this stuff so I can make my own decisions. So that makes it. I I, I get it. And that's the conundrum that that you end up, you know, putting yourself in or or that the employers are in. And I and I I understand you've got HIPAA regulations and all those types of things, which are going to dictate how much flexibility that you have and how you can share things and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's no question that. Uh, If all this is going to work, see, if we're if we're going to get out of this, get through this collectively, people do need to be covid honest. 
And, and and you need to say, okay, if, if you don't feel good, you you got to stay away. And, and trying to, you know, blast your way through stuff when you've got 102 fever uh, because, well, I, I just don't want to know. That's not doing you any favors, and it's certainly not doing your coworkers any favors. Now, it seems to me a responsible employer would, would want to know that because, again, you don't want employees coming in. And, and infecting other people, and then you got to close the whole factory or, or whatever because of, of a sort of situation like that. But you have to be candid. You have to be honest. And so I, I get this whole idea of COVID honesty. But at the same time, uh, if we, we've got to be upfront about this because you're not helping anybody if you try to play hurt. Okay, before we bring John and Melissa on, I, I want to double back on something we, we talked about just a little bit the other day. Um Ted Perry, the longtime anchor at Fox 6. I, I I don't know Ted well, but he, when I lived in Whitefish Bay, he lived, I don't know where he lives now, but he lived in Whitefish Bay as well. And occasionally I'd, I'd see him, and I think it was his girlfriend, they'd be walking a dog or something. We, we'd, we'd run into each other, you know, around the area. I, I've, I, I've always liked Ted. So I was very surprised at this story. Apparently, you know, and this has been reported in multiple sources, you know, last week he he takes to his Facebook account and he posts this really, really tasteless thing talking about, you know, 2020 and Alex Trebek dies and Mitch McConnell is still alive, something like that. And it's like, I remember when I when I first heard the story and I didn't see the Facebook post, I was thinking, what is Ted thinking? (laughs) You know, this is because, you know, look, I, I know a lot of. It's because of what I do, I know a lot of people who are in the local news business, whether they're reporters or whether they're TV folks or whatever, and I, I have an idea as to what their politics are just based on our personal, you know, and private interactions. But, you know, typically they, they keep it quiet. You know, Mike Jacobs or Carol Meekins or, or Mike Goucher, uh, you, you don't you don't see them. Joyce Garbasiak, long longtime friend of mine, you, you don't see them going on, on TV or Facebook or whatever and being overtly partisan and especially in kind of this tasteless fashion. So I was surprised that Ted did it. Um, it, it got it exposed. And uh, the Journal Sentinel is reporting now, Dan Bice is reporting that uh, Ted hasn't been on the air this week. And the reason is because um, he has been suspended by the station. Um, for the, this comment, he's not going to anchor the evening news all this week. Not clear whether he will return on Monday. So um, he, he's been suspended for a week for doing this. They, they've sat him on the bricks. I look. I, I understand we have this cancel culture that's out there, and it's it's not uncommon to see a media story on, a, on an almost weekly basis. Somebody says something and end up losing their job. I, I don't believe that this is the type of thing that, that Ted Perry should lose his job over. Some people might disagree with me. I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, a suspension clearly might, might be appropriate in these circumstances. It was a staggeringly dumb thing to do. I'm really surprised he did it. But um, I, I think at some point in time, we, we can't let the cancel culture just completely take over. And I hope he's on, back on the air sometime soon. But if you wonder why he's been gone, he, at least the Journal Sentinel reporting, he's been suspended. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.